one of the things that we're pushing for, and the Levitt report is a good weapon in that, is to show that um, companies should be required to do this. They should be required to implement the no harm principle. Hello and welcome to the Better Human Podcast. Today I'm going to be talking to Krishnendu Mukherjee, who is a colleague of mine at Doughty Street Chambers. Um, he's a barrister specializing, amongst other things, in business and human rights, and he's also an Indian advocate. We're going to be talking about an issue which we've discussed before, which is business and human rights, and particularly in the context of the Boohoo Leicester Garment Factory scandal. The Better Human podcast is supported by Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate programme taught in London. Applications are now open to study law at Goldsmiths, including LLB Law, um, LLB Law with Criminal Justice and Human Rights, and LLB Law with Politics and Human Rights. To learn more and apply, please visit gold.act.uk forward slash law. If you want to support this podcast and help to make it sustainable, then please consider chipping in a few pounds a month at www.betterhumanpodcast.com, where you can also find show notes. So, Krishnendu, thanks so much for joining me again. Um, I think you're possibly the first guest I've had on three times. <laughs> so, congratulations. Um, I, you. You, you, I'll send you a, a Better Human podcast badge or hat or something <laughs> if, if i can um we we, we we we're we're really resuming um a conversation we've been having throughout which is fundamentally about business and human rights and what business and human rights means and we've had we've talked about the um the principles we've talked about the mechanisms sort of internationally and domestic and what we're going to talk about now something very specific, um, a very specific case, which we you mentioned, in actual fact, when we spoke at the first podcast, we spoke about, you talked about the issues going on in Leicester garment factories. Um, and then in the second, we had just heard the news um, in July about the the scandal um, at the factory, the, at the factories in Leicester um, that were making clothes for Boohoo, um, which is a, a retailer. And since then, there has been a an independent report which was commissioned by Boohoo um, by Alison Levitt, Queen's Counsel, who's a former director of public prosecutions. It came out towards the end of September. Um, and that's what we're going to try and get through. But I, I thought the first thing that would be helpful for people listening is just to give a basic summary of what this issue is about, what was happening in those factories in Leicester and how did it come out? Yes, well... The the background is based basically is that there's been allegations that in the Leicester garment factories there have been uh, bad working conditions, unsafe working conditions, and breaches of the law on uh, minimum wage that have been there for for quite some time, including in evidence to two parliamentary committees. One is the Joint Committee on Human Rights, and the other was the Environmental Audit uh, Committee in uh, two thousand and. 19. And there was also various allegations during the pandemic that workers were working uh, when they, in breach of the guidelines, when they weren't supposed to be working and indeed sleeping in the factory overnight to, to avoid detection. And this came about um, in a renewed article by the Sunday Times in July. And that then really uh, set a whole spate of things 
uh, in play. So, for instance, um, Boohoo, which are one of the buyers from the Leicester Garment Factories, then commissioned uh, an independent uh, review by, as you say, Alison Levitt. Um, and um, there was a number of declarations by uh, Priti Patel, including, uh, including an NCA probe uh, investigation into that as well. And so um, there's been a number of interesting uh, occurrences that have happened uh, since July. Um, and I think also one of the things that, that people have taken into account is that obviously, you know, we are living in an in a increasingly globalized world and that there's an absolute need to look at um, the way that companies operate within that. And especially after the pandemic, how do we ensure that that we build back better out of the pandemic. So this is all very, very topical at the moment. And and so what were the, you talked about low pay. What 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 other, I mean, first of all, what what does that mean? Um, and also what kind of conditions, when if you were working in one of these factories in Leicester, what would you, what you, what would your working conditions look like? Um, and why, um, what, what are the problematic aspects of it? Well, I think that um, before the independent review, these were merely allegations. And uh, one of the things that the independent review commissioned by Boohoo did was that uh, when came to investigate and um, they, they took a lot of evidence from uh, a number of people, many of those who were uh, anonymous, um, um, in order to ascertain what the conditions were or are in in those factories um so one of the findings were that the factories have unacceptably poor working conditions there were um people who were uh, working longer than their uh, allotted hours and therefore they um were paid less than the minimum wage for for that um um business so the, the, the minimum wage that is decided by the government um, um, on advice um, was was not being paid uh, to workers. They weren't. They didn't have proper contracts in many cases. They weren't entitled to paid holidays or or sick pay. Uh, and in uh, the another finding was that um, there were serious health and safety violations. Um, and the review concluded that. If there was a fire to break out in some of the buildings in Leicester that were investigated, it, li- it was likely to be a loss of life. So very poor um, health and safety conditions and very poor working conditions, um, even in factories in the UK, in which obviously we assume that that the um, government uh, bodies, the statutory bodies and enforcement bodies have uh, better supervision than, than some other uh, countries in which um, garments are produced, for instance, China or India or Bangladesh. Um, so it's a very uh, worrying um, finding by the review, and they found that um, that the allegations of of poor working conditions and underpayment of workers in the lesser supply chain were substantially true, and that that it was an endemic in Boohoo supply chain and in in industry um, in general. So very very strong findings there. And, and these fi- these allegations weren't they didn't just um, appear in July two thousand and twenty, did they? They've been around for at least a decade. Yes, far longer than than that. Even um, in fact, um, in two thousand and one, there was a report done in, in relation to minimum wage, in which they they found that there was evidence to show that there was uh, 
uh, a breach of minimum wage regulations in the Leicester garment factories. And then since then, there have been a whole range of uh, both uh, newspaper articles, uh, dispatches. Channel 4 did a, a program and uh, there's been various studies. Leicester University did a study, an NGO called Labour Behind the Label also um, did a study which indicated there were bad working conditions and so on in, in those factories. And I, and I think it, I, I'm just reading from the report that the um, the Labour Behind the Label published a report in, at the end of June, which I guess was, I, I don't know if it was connected with the Sunday Times um, sending in a, a, a undercover reporters, but they said there was emerging evidence which indicates the conditions in Leicester factories, primarily producing for Boohoo, are putting workers at risk of COVID-19 uh, infections and fatalities. And, and COVID... COVID was kind of the the precipitated the the this expose because Boohoo started expanding their production, I think, because more people were ordering clothes online, which is their which is the big part of their business. So there was an element of the the pandemic accelerating what was all we already knew had been happening for a long time. Well one of the one of the pertinent conclusions in the review was that um that Boohoo, one of the as I say, one of the main buyers has known since at least 2017 that the allegations were being made about the companies in its Leicester supply chain. So, as you say, um, this is, in terms of allegations, uh, have been made for for quite some time. And that's that's really the worrying thing about the lack of um, action that's been taken both by statutory bodies and by the companies themselves. So, so boohoo. After the Sunday Times report commissioned Alison Levitt to do this report, and, and and what was the what did what did they what was the intention um, of doing that? Well, I think the intention was to basically mitigate the bad publicity um, that they received because of the allegations that were being made, and um, we would hope the intention was also, and they they have accepted. Um, uh, to implement all of Alison Levitt's recommendations was to improve their business practice because I think it was recognized that there is a gap there between um, companies' rhetorical commitment to ensuring that there's proper working conditions in the supply chain and their actual practice. So um, I'm hoping that um, Boohoo, amongst other companies, will, will take heed of the recommendations and properly implement them. So should we talk about the findings? Because there are a number of allegations around unsafe working practices, minimum wage, um, falsification of records, um, intensification around coronavirus. What, what, what did Alison Levitt find? Um, well, I th- I, there are about nine major findings. So um, there was the allegation of unacceptable working conditions and underpayment of, of workers that was found to be substantially true that a significant number of suppliers and subcontractors in Boohoo supply chain were playing, paying employees less than the minimum or the living wage and, and that that was a historic problem and that that was caused by a combination of a lack of scrutiny, commercial pressures and an historical assumptions that state benefits can be used to subsidize low wages. Um, and then, as I said, a significant number of factories have unacceptably poor working conditions, including uh, the risk in relation to fire, where the report found there could be likely there would be loss of life. And in terms of um, retaliation, 
that is the ability to make a complaint by an employee of a supplier um, a company, um, the employer's rights were ignored and neglected, um, and that many employees didn't have proper contracts and so on. And now what that obviously leads to is um, the risk that if uh, someone makes a complaint that they'll simply be told to go and their job will be terminated or or potentially um, other threats. Uh, and that's very common um, in relation to uh, the making of complaints in, in these type of situations. Um, it also found, as I said, that um, the problems were endemic, not only in Bahu's supply chain, but also in the industry, the Leicester supply chains, Leicester garment industry as a whole. And that the inaction by the authorities, the government authorities, contributed significantly to the deficiencies that were found. And one of the um, very telling quotes from the report says, uh, I paraphrase, that inaction by the authorities can only lead to an assumption that the people who are being affected are not important. And uh, I certainly would um, back that view up uh, as well. Um, and and I think when it comes to what going forward, I think one of the other main findings was that the monitoring of of Bahu's Leicester supply chain was inadequate for for many years, and the processes that, that Bahu had, the internal processes, were were far below that that would be expected from a company of its of its size. And uh, there was no reliance on what we call third-party audits. That's when um, companies rely upon another company to go in and check who is working, whether they have contracts, whether they're paid, their working hours, and so on. Um, and and Boohoo themselves not not um, taking much part in actually in ensuring that their the people who supplied um, garments were were obeying the law and providing the workers uh, with proper 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 conditions and um there was also i think uh, a lack of really knowing where the garments were coming from so the transparency in their supply chain so actually knowing that if you contract with a supplier company that supplier company is and then is not simply subcontracting that work to other companies that you don't have any knowledge of or even in some cases to um, to, to home working, people working in home and, and doing that. So I think that's also something that that was was highlighted. Well, I um, mean, can I just interrupt there because I found this pretty startling. Although I, you know, I don't make clothes, um, but um, and I don't have experience in, in this in this industry. But the, the, the Alison Levitt says a number of times that the the company just didn't know who was making. It's clothes. Um, and just, I'm just going to quote um, f- uh, from one section, which is um, on page 210. It, it said, in the middle of the lockdown period, Nasty Girl, uh, which is one of the Boohoo brands, had placed an order for some jogging bottoms with Revolution, a design house in Manchester, which, has no, which had no manufacturing capability. Who then did Nasty Girl think was going to make them? I've concluded that the truth is that they did not know and did not really care. Um <laughs> I mean, there's another quote. Um, Boohoo simp- has simply no idea where its clothes are being made and thus has no chance of monitoring the conditions of the workers who make them. And and, and I guess 
to put that back to you we've spoke we spoke in the last in the first podcast a lot about supply chains and you know the importance of of monitoring each part of a supply you know if, the, if a sprocket is being you know it has to be made in a few different countries to you know because it has all different parts you've got that's the supply chain it's the chain um, of different suppliers who eventually come to you to assemble the product but here they, they, they just that you assume they know where you know they know what the supply chain is but it seems like they didn't yeah and, and even in i think in one instance they products were made in morocco because it was cheaper to make them in morocco and the company weren't aware that they're being made in a completely different country so yes um i think it does really illustrate the sort of lack of the phrase that we use in in uh, in this context is due diligence by by Boohoo um, up till up till till date, and no doubt by many other companies. And and the interesting thing is is that um, these type of situations are are becoming more and more known um, um, to the to the public through through the media and through uh, social media and through other means. So even for instance, uh, on Tuesday there was a report in the BBC about. Um, a factory in uh, India which produces garments for um, Ralph Lauren, Sainsbury's and Tesco and Marks and Spencer's um, having a climate of fear because workers are working long hours, they're underpaid, they're not allowed to take toilet breaks, they're not allowed to even take a a water break and you can imagine what it it must be like in those temperatures. uh, and and yet the the company is unaware of, of those conditions. So it's not simply a company like Boohoo that that didn't know. It's simply and the garment industry is a particular example of that. Very very widespread. The Better Human Podcast is supported by your contributions. If you find it useful and interesting, I would really appreciate if you consider giving just three dollars a month. That's just over two pounds via our Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash better human. And if a couple of hundred people do that, then that will make the podcast sustainable. And I can carry on interviewing interesting guests about fascinating human rights subjects. There's an interesting bit um, about where, where Alison Levitt says that the more than one witness told her that the workers collude by wanting to keep their state benefits and thus insist either on being paid in cash or their hours being undeclared and she says i'm i'm and and you can imagine that that kind of narrative you know it's kind of a daily i guess a daily mail type narrative you might you might see Mm. um but she says i'm unhappy with the suggestion that the exploited can be accused of colluding in their own exploitation the fact that years of poor treatment have caused them to believe wrongly that they are better off than if they had a proper full-time job paid at the proper rate does not make it any less exploitative or excuse those who take advantage of them. I found that really interesting, um, and, and you know, on a, on a sort of moral level, um, and maybe and, and and quite sophisticated as well as an analysis. Well, I think it's very important because I mean, what we're seeing in the UK and in other countries is is a sort of systematic deformalization of. Uh, of of employment and and you know sort of the the gig economy where people are deemed to be self-employed quite often yes um paid in paid in cash um and that uh, can lead 
to or does lead to exploitation. And I mean, one of, I think one of the demands um, for people who want to respect uh, human rights and the human rights activities of businesses is, in, is to ensure that uh, people's work is formalized, that they are, um, they do have contracts, they are paid um, in uh, proper bank accounts, and um, so that it can be ensured that they are receiving the proper wages and proper proper um, benefits in kind. So one of the recommendations um, that Alison Levitt makes it relates to the number of, of suppliers with which it contracts. I'm guessing it, that's because they don't know for sure. Boohoo has something in the region of 500 companies in its supply chain in Leicester alone, some of which are little more than cottage industries with fewer than 10 workers. And they can't, and and, and, and I know you referred to this before, um, Krishnendu, Boohoo cannot possibly re- monitor conditions in such a large number of companies to do so in an effective way would wipe out its profits. But, you know, th- there, that goes back to what you've just been talking about, this sort of gig economy, this this kind of, um, I, I think we're in, a, we're in a phase at the moment where small um, cottage industry type businesses are are kind of lauded as oh wow isn't it fantastic that this this family uh you know have set up a knitting a local knitting company or something but there's a darker side to that um here which is identified by Alison Levitt yeah I mean I, I mean I I don't I've obviously got nothing against um small um companies in themselves but it must be clear that whatever the size of the company that you're subcontracting with that you know who they are and you know what conditions um, they have for their workers. And I think one of the main recommendations that's come out of the uh, Levitt report is that um, Boohoo, and this should apply to other companies as well, have an approved list, as you say, of tier one and tier two suppliers, which basically means that you know who you're contracting with and you know who they're contracting with. You don't have a very extended supply chain, which goes to three or four other other people. So you keep it um, very, very close to you and that you um, ensure that they know what they um, have to do in terms of um, the criteria in which they um, can become uh, suppliers and that you have a proper system of making sure that they do uh, abide by those criteria. And if they don't, then then you no longer have any contractual relation with them. And I think that's a very good deterrent good first of all a good lever to ensure that you improve working conditions but also a good deterrent to ensure that they uh they they don't uh they don't um carry on uh committing um violations you've mentioned this briefly but i just want to ask about it specifically which is the how much we know that these conditions and these problems um, you know, not not paying, not knowing about where your supply chain is, um, not monitoring what's going on in it, um, health and safety problems, um, the, the lack of board scrutiny, that sort of thing. How common are these um, in, well, the garment industry, gem, but but also you can speak wider and, and, and how much do we know about those conditions in other industries? Well, um, Adam, as you know, I mean, I, I've been I've been working in one of the countries which has significant, you know, largest number of people under modern slavery. And modern slavery is a term which essentially means that people are uh, either they're forced to work by their their employer through um, 
exactly what the scenario is here, not being paid enough and so they're going to debt, paid less than the minimum wage and or, and or their conditions of work are poor in India. And, and you see a lot of the uh, supply chains ending up there. Uh, and one of the things that we that I've that I've found working in in that country is that in all sorts of different industries, be it garments or electronics or tea or, or chemicals, leather, so on, that the same really the same issues arise. So first of all, a lack of transparency in the supply chain. So exactly you don't know who your suppliers are, you or you don't know who's supplying them. And an over-reliance upon uh, companies that, that go into these places and um, tell you um, what uh, the conditions are. So I'll give you a, an example. I mean, I also work in the Rajasthan natural stone industry, uh, and we had gone to a supplier of a European company in Rajasthan and asked them um, a variety of questions about um whether they knew where their stone was produced um, and how it was being produced, whether it was produced with child labor and so on. And um, they were very frank to us and they said that that they had no idea, but I'm absolutely sure that when they're reporting back to this European company, that they will um, say that that all of the criteria in terms of uh, not being involved with child labor, bonded labor, uh, and environmental degradation would be would be maintained, and so that's that's one of the the major problems I think, which is highlighted in in the Levitt report as well. Um, in the Levitt report, one of the things she says is that inaction by the authorities has con- contributed significantly to the deficiencies. Legislation is not merely a system for regulating society, but also the mechanism by which society's values and priorities are communicated. If the law is not enforced, this sends a clear message that the violations are not important and the people affected do not matter. Um, and that's making a, a bigger point, um, I guess one that she's not really, she wasn't really investigating, um, but she's come across and, and found it to be important about enforcement of the existing rules Um, and i've got two questions for you on that first of all are the existing rules sufficient and second of all are what can we do if they're not well i mean i think that they're uh they're not sufficient they're not sufficient in relation to the uh statutory powers of the government or organizations and they're not sufficient in relation to the obligations um on companies so um, as I said, um, since 2001, there's been allegations that that people have been not being paid uh, the minimum wage. So, for instance, in June 2001, on the third report of the Low Pay Commission on the national minimum wage, it found that there were reports that workers in the textile and clothing manufacturing sweatshops, inverted commas, in Leicester, that they're receiving rates that were below the then minimum minimum wage. And so the question is that if a statutory body uh, whose job it is to, is to advise the government on, on the minimum wage in their report as, in, as far back as 2001 has reported breaches of that law, um, why um, the government hasn't taken any action? And I think part of, part of it is a, uh, a lack of teeth, for want of a better word. So the difficulties in 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 bringing 
people to court and the lack of punitive sanctions for people who are found guilty is a is a major problem um uh, and so there's there's a need to have a uh, a significant strengthening um of the legislation in order to ensure that the sanctions that are given to to people who uh break break the law uh, in this way are substantial that have a they have a deterrent effect and that simply hasn't been um the case uh, up to now one of the areas of hope um during the pandemic has been the real uh, fact that uh, people are taking the issue of mandatory human rights due diligence a lot more seriously than I think they did before uh, the pandemic, before March. Um, human rights due diligence is the process by which uh, a company uh, identifies, mitigates, and or remedies um, human rights and environmental violations in its supply chain. Um, but up till now, and this is one of the problems that has existed, is that despite, as I said, rhetorical commitment by companies like Boohoo, um, they uh, haven't been forced, they haven't been required by law to actually carry out this process. And uh, it's actually led uh, uh, Alison Levitt and her report to say that um, Boohoo and its suppliers whose auditing was supposed to be uh, UNGP, that is the Guiding Principles Compliant. Those are the, that's the soft law mechanism that requires uh, companies to undertake human rights due diligence. Despite this rhetorical commitment, there was no breach of any law in the UK because it's not a requirement of law. And so um, one of the things that we're pushing for, and the Levitt report is a good weapon in that, is to show that um, companies should be required to do this. They should be required to implement the no harm principle. That is, their business activities shouldn't harm people. Um, and uh, voluntary measures, such as the the one that we have at the moment in the Modern Slavery Act 2015, which is essentially a disclosure um, provision, it just requires companies to tell um, the public what they're doing rather than actually do anything um, themselves. Is, isn't simply sufficient um, unless you want uh, to stop um, issues like the Leicester Garment Factories from recurring. One of the, um, another interesting um, sort of philosophical point that Alison Levitt makes, j- just picking, picking up on that, is the, she says, the requirements to, um, know what's happening in the supply chain. I'm just just bearing in mind that what, what, the, what she actually concludes at the end is that they didn't deliberately exploit workers. I, I think I, if I were to paraphrase, it's more that they that they negligently um, didn't d- didn't know what was happening in the supply chains. And you might and you might speculate, well, maybe they just they they deliberately closed their eyes. But you know, I I think that's left unsaid. But, but what she says is, no member of the board I, I, I interviewed mentioned that the responsibility for what is happening in the supply chain derived from the duty of the company's officers to act in the best interests of all the shareholders. It's beyond argument that this is not that is not in shareholders' best interest to allow a situation to develop which results in millions of pounds being wiped off the value of the company. And obviously, the the situation that developed is the um, is is the scandal. 
And then she says this, she says, on reviewing my draft report, the company wants to emphasise they do recognise their obligation to act in the best interests of the shareholders at all times. The point I make above is a slightly different one. It is the failure of the company to grasp that their responsibility for factory workers does not derive from a nebulous moral duty, but from their obligation as officers of the company. In other words, this is not a nice to have like charitable contributions. It is integral to their business as retailers. So that's I found that framing really interesting um, because we've spoken about a number of times um, in the past the problem of having certain duties as kind of moral duties and uh, you know nice to have as she describes it and some as legally binding duties. But she's saying as company directors, that's their it's their legal duty to their shareholders to ensure that this stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean I think um, one of the things that she highlighted was. One of the the reasons for for Boohoo's failure was that they prioritized growth and profit uh, more than supply chain supervision and scrutiny. Now, the thing about that is is that the growth and pro- profit which the Boohoo board prioritized was seen to be a very sort of grow, very short term growth and profit, and not looking at the, the 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 sustainability of 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 what of what they were doing. Um, and I think. More and more um, company boards are being required to to look at what is their raison d'etre. What is the reason that they exist? Now, no doubt, the bottom line is um, shareholder value. But does shareholder value simply mean um, pushing short-term growth and profit, and not looking at the the wider and more medium to long-term implications of your of your business activity? Um, and I'm hoping that that um, companies, um, especially seeing what's happened during this pandemic, will realize that, in fact, in order to maintain shareholder value, what you need is a much better strategy of ensuring that the people that you work with, the people that they work with, and that the communities that you work with um, are benefited by your by your operation, or at least not harmed by your operation, and that in the long term, or even the medium term, rather than a sort of smash and grab type of operation, but much more of a sort of um, cohesive and cooperative uh, type of relationship, um, that actually in the medium to long term you'll have more growth and more profit, um, and that'll be beneficial for your shareholders as well as um, everybody else. Well, hopefully after this, um, other companies will have sat up and listened and, and taken that advice. Um, Krishnendu, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Always happy to um, return to this issue, um, if that's the right word, and and, and consider um, it from the perspective of, of the workers who are being exploited and also the... Um, overall system which allows that to happen um so thanks so much for coming on the podcast and um speak to you next time well thanks a lot adam and thanks for giving such exposure to such such an important i think uh topic for the for our future so thank you very much to krishnendu Mukherjee, who is a colleague at doughty street chambers um and also to 
Goldsmiths Law and their pioneering LLB undergraduate programme taught in London. Applications are now open to study law at Goldsmiths including LLB Law, LLB Law with Criminal Justice and Human Rights and LLB Law with Politics and Human Rights. To learn more and apply please visit gold.act.uk forward slash law. If you want to read the Levitt Report and find other useful links to follow up the interesting issues we discussed in this podcast, you can go to www.betterhumanpodcast.com where you can also help support the podcast and make it sustainable by giving a few pounds a month through the Patreon. So thank you very much for listening. My name is Adam Wagner. This is the Better Human Podcast. See you next time. Thank you.